Good morning, crew. So good to be with you this morning as we uh, kind of wrap up a little series that we've been doing for the last few weeks. But before we do that, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, remind us of a couple of things. One is Crystal just let us know about the new members class that's coming up on Monday night here in just a couple of weeks. But through the entire fall, we're doing this whole thing called Monday Night Live, where right now Pastor Scott's teaching a class in foundations, kind of the basics of the Christian faith. And while that started last Monday, you can still jump into that if you would like to. Don't hesitate for that. You can go onto our app. If you don't have our app, just simply go to your app store, look up Redemption Church Duval. You can get that, and you'll get all the information there. But you can still jump into those classes as well, or you can come to the membership class in a couple of weeks, or we're going to be doing kind of a basic Christian disciplines class. After that, I'll be teaching that class. So it's just an opportunity for us to get back into some rhythms in our own spiritual development in life. That would be fantastic. So that's the first thing I want to remind you about. The second thing I want to remind you about is next week we're starting a brand new series. It's going to go for a number of weeks, and it's called Jesus Meets Life. And the heart of this is to say, you know, Jesus isn't just some kind of idealized, out-of-reach teacher that doesn't teach anything practically, but rather when we look at the Bible, there's all kinds of really useful and practical knowledge and guidance for marriage, parenting, money, sex, you name it. These things all kind of deal with it. The Bible speaks to those things. And so we're going to start that series next week. And if you have a friend that you've thought about inviting to church, or maybe they've been kind of flirting with the idea of checking out church, that would be a great series to do it with. They can do it online as well. Maybe they're not ready to show up in person, but they're willing to check us out a little bit. It's very accessible, very practical, very honest in that assessment of how Jesus really touches the real life things that we all wrestle with and we all struggle through and we all try to get better at. So that's another thing you want to know about. And then the third thing you want to know about is we are in our final week of our big $750,000 giving campaign. And so if you haven't given to that, you've been thinking about it, this is the closing week for that. There's been a ton of generosity. We've seen generosity behind the scenes on this that has been really incredible. And so if you've not been a part, you want to jump on board with that, you can look on our app again. You can see the tile there. You can give through the tile or in other ways as well. But we're really closing this out. And so, man, big, big push this week. Want to make sure that happens. And I'm very excited for what God is doing. So hopefully in the next week or two, we'll have some more updating on the building because things are happening happening behind the scenes. Uh, and so maybe next week or the week after, we'll kind of share some of those things because we'll have a little bit more concrete information. So there's all the housekeeping right there. With that said, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us today as we wrap this up, kind of looking at our vision, values, and vibe as a church. Today's all about the vibe. So we'll just go ahead and pray, and then we'll get right to business. Jesus, I, I thank you that you are always so compassionate and gracious toward us as a community of faith. Like, we're imperfect people, but we are redeemed by a perfect God. And, and I thank you that despite maybe our imperfection, our all-too-humanness, you show us love and grace, and you energize us, and you deploy us to do things that hopefully are really pointing to you. Our heart is to point to you. Our heart is to help people believe that life is better with you. And so I pray that our individual lives will do that. I pray that we, as kind of a, a community of faith in an organized way, that we would do that as well, and that we are faithful to the calling that you've given to us. And so continue to guide us and teach us and coach us and help us and inspire us to great things in you. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you this day in your kind name. Amen. 
So I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I know Ellen and I have done this before where uh, you decide to check out a restaurant you've never visited, right? Maybe you're talking to a friend and they tell you, oh man, you got to go to this place in Gold Bar. And instantly you're like, Gold Bar, really? So, but they're like, oh no, it's, it's got the best nachos ever. And for me, I'm always in search of the world's greatest nachos, right? So I will go check out anything if they got the world's greatest nachos. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to check it out. And you drive up to Gold Bar and as soon as you pull up, you get this sense of, we've made a terrible mistake, right? Like, you're like, the Yelp reviews are dropping, just pulling into the driveway, right? And you're looking at the building, and it's kind of faded, and the paint's chipping, and they haven't pulled the weeds since, like, June. And you're like, are we sure that this is the right place? But then you remember Guy Fieri goes to dives, right? And sometimes he goes to dives, and they have the best food. So you're thinking, maybe they put so much energy into the food, they don't care about the exterior, right? So we're going in, because it might be divey, but it's going to be great, right? And so you go in, And as soon as you walk in the door, you're greeted by a hostess that looks like a pensive runway model that's really put out that you've showed up and you are messing with her swiping right in Tinder, right? You know, it's just like, she's like, why are you here? I don't want, I'm just here to do my thing. Why are you bugging me? And you're like, "Uh, can we get a seat? And she's like, fine, pick a seat over there. And you're like, wow, this is really warm, right? So then you go and you sit down and then the server comes out and they're so strapped and busy and frustrated and tired that it seems like you're just sort of wrecking their day by sitting down in a booth and you want to eat some food. And so before you've even had a bite, before you've even seen the nachos come out, you have a disposition right? You're kind of put out. You're on edge. You're already like, man, when I write this Yelp review, oh, they are going to hate me for this, right? Like, we've been in those spaces. And on the flip, I've been to restaurants where uh, the food was okay, but the service was so amazing and over the top. I'm like, I'm going back there again because those people feel like my people. The food didn't have to be great. I just loved the environment. See, we've all had those kinds of experiences in different types of ways, and it's that kind of framework that I think about when it comes to the topic today. In particular, when it comes to churches and how people experience churches maybe for the first time. Because if there's anything that's true, unlike a restaurant, a church is a different kind of, of, of environment altogether because already it's, it's an organization that does things that are outside of the norm of almost anything you do in other contexts, right? Because it's religious in orientation. It's worshipful in orientation. There are themes and there are traditions and there are activities that when you come into this space are just sort of unfamiliar maybe, or when you go from church to church to church, you're going to find that they have different traditions and different ways of doing music and interacting with the different kind of spiritual environments that, that kind of make up their community of faith. And so I always think about it like when somebody is checking out Redemption Church, what it's like to do that for the first time, like pulling up to a restaurant you know nothing about. Now, one of the things we know from just kind of data points is the very first way a person checks out RC is not by coming here. They go online, right? There's people right now that are watching online. They're, they're, they're finding out, hey, is this my kind of people? Because that's what they're doing. They come online and they're like, okay, do they look like me? Do they sound like me? Do they seem weird? Do they seem normal? How do they dress? What do they do? What's their music? How do they talk? Right? And they're just trying to figure out, would I be a fit if I showed up? So that's the first way. But when they finally decide, hey, we're going to go and physically take the risk, man, that can be an unnerving experience. Think about it. You pile all the kids into the car on a day that's normally considered like a day off, right? And you're going to go to this place maybe you've never been to before. So they pull up, and instantly they're like, this is a church that looks like a school, 
right? It's like, well, it is a school because the church meets in the school. And then even something as simple as, do we pull into the first, like, driveway or the second driveway? What do we do? And then they pull in and they get out of their car and they come up to the entrance and they're like, do we go through that door, that door, that door? Which door? And then they walk in the door and they're like, which way do we go? Do we go to the left or go to the right? And then there's a sign that says, kids this way. And they're like, okay, we have kids. We're going to put them in kids' ministry. So they walk down to the kids' ministry, and they do this check-in thing. And then what happens? Our kids' ministry people put a scan bar on their back and laser their kid. Right? And they're like, my kid's a grocery here now. I don't know what to do with this. Isn't that the mark of the beast or something? They're putting the mark of the beast on my kid. All right. And then the kid goes off behind the curtain into Sunday school. You know, but that would be a little unnerving for a first-time person. And then the parents, they turn the other way, and we're like, okay, now we go to the adult section, which sounds bad. I mean, the worship section that adults go to, right? And on their way, they're like, there's coffee and donuts, but do I pay for the coffee and donuts? Are the coffee and donuts free? If I pay, can I use my card, or do I need cash? Or is it just attached to my kid's scan bar, and they can rescan my kid for the donut and coffee, right? It's all connected. Like, what do we do? And then they come in here. And then you're like, instantly, if you're new, you're like, I, I don't want to sit in the middle because I'll be trapped the entire time because the rows are like this close, right? So that's a little freaky. And then you sit in here, and no sooner do you sit, that Trent comes out and says, stand. And you're like, okay, I'm going to stand. And then we're all singing songs. You're like, I don't know these songs, but that one's cool. Do I put up a lighter or my phone? And I don't know the song, but I can, I can at least rock out to it or whatever else. What do we do? And then, like, I walk out, and I'll be like, open up to the book of Job. And they're like, I didn't bring a book called Job. I brought a book called the Bible. Like, right, but Job is in the Bible. It's a book with a bunch of books. or 66 books in a book. Never mind. Just open up the book of Job. And they're like, Job, 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 Job. I know, it's weird. Right? All of this can be confusing for a person. It can be a little bit weird, unnerving for anybody checking out church maybe for the first time or checking out Redemption Church for the first time. And so what I know is coming into any kind of worshipful space on a Sunday is going to be intimidating. It's going to have that fight or flight. The amygdala just can't help but have this sense of guardedness coming into the space. It just can't help it. In fact, even for me, right, like I'm a veteran, like I, I'm clergy, I'm used to being in the system, so to speak, and when I go to visit a church for the first time, I kind of hit their campus at a minus three, as far as enthusiasm goes. It's like, I'm not anti, I'm, I, I want to go, I want to check it out. But again, there's kind of this, like, I got a buffer. I'm a little bit, like, kind of just watching to see, is this going to be everything I hope? And I'm a little defensive in the process of it. And, and so as a church, then, we are conscientious of this reality that some people can come, and if we don't do things well and create a certain kind of environment, a vibe that really draws a person in, we could really miss an opportunity. And more than missing an opportunity, if we do that enough, if we don't have the right kind of tone, it can even discourage an overall attitude of invitation. Like we go, man, I don't know if I want to invite my friend because do we really draw people in well? And so it can discourage that. And I think chiefly the problem is that it can miss out on what we most care about. And what we most care about is serving people so we can showcase Jesus. That's what we care about. And so, again, this tone that's created, this vibe that we want to own is really important to what we do as a church. And so today, it's all about that, right? This whole series is just looking at, hey, man, what's our vision, our value, and our vibe? And, and that we want to own that. We're, we're doing it incompletely. We do it imperfectly, but we want to be on a journey to get better at those things. And so we've looked at the things that are really critical to us as a church. And so the first week, we looked at why, right? That big, audacious question, 
Why are we bothering to build a building down on 203? Why do we meet on Sunday mornings? Why do we get out of bed? Why do we have budgets and staff and ministries and all this? What's the why? And for us, it's simple. Helping people believe that life is better with Jesus. Right? We want that to be owned. We want to guide people in that. We want to live that. We want to model that. We want to push that. Because we really believe that. And what's great about that statement even is it doesn't take all this like, you know, deep, hardcore doctrinal understanding to be that person. No, it just takes sincerity and it takes humility and it takes an earnestness of wanting to learn from him and wanting to represent him well. And so that's our why. From that, we said, well, how do we try to accomplish the why? And that how is important because it's our values. If the first idea is our vision, the second is our values. And so our values are simple things like seek to be like Jesus err on the side of grace. That's what we seek to do. Take the Bible seriously. Realize that life is best lived with others. Teach that everybody sweeps. Right? These simple things. Do things for the good of the city. And then always remember, man, who can I invite? Who can I bring along in this journey? So those are our values. But today is the vibe, right? What we want somebody coming in to experience. And we want everybody to have the same kind of experience. In other words, there's going to be some people that are just, you know, they're, they're faithful followers of Jesus. They've moved into town. They're looking for a, a new church. And so they're a little bit more like, hey, we're, we're enthusiastic about this. This is important to us. And so we're very open to whatever God's doing in this place. But there's other people that may come into this church and they've been wounded by religion. They've been hurt by other Christians. They've been hurt by a church at some point. Or maybe they're just critical. Maybe they're hateful even of the faith. And we want to have the same disposition toward them, right? To have them drawn in and have an experience with us that is representing our experience with Jesus. That's the heart. And the reason for this is more than just, hey, because that's nice, that's hospitable, that's good marketing. No, the reason for us is because we're taking seriously something Jesus says just before he leaves the planet. So Jesus said a lot of cool stuff, a lot of important things for his followers. But just as he's getting ready to vacate, there's this final gathering of his posse, and he tells them this in Matthew chapter 28. He says, therefore go, right? Go and make disciples, learners, followers, right? Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given to you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, historically, we've called this the Great Commission. And I'm not sure where that language started, right? It's like not in the passage. It doesn't say great or commission in there. It's something that we've sort of developed to say, hey, this is the big idea. This is the, the action statement that Jesus calls us to. And I dig the language of the Great Commission. But I think there's a part of me that also loves to look at this passage. is like Jesus's, I double dog dare you. It's like that. I double dog dare you to go and see people moved from, I don't know, bro, about this Jesus thing, to becoming people that say, oh man, I'm all in on this Jesus thing. Right? That's the double dog dare that he has there. And so we take this seriously. And so because of that, when we came up with these ideas that I'm sharing with you today, we saw it as like pavers, like stepping stones in a direction. So that if somebody became engaged with Redemption Church, came for the first time, they would be stepping on the first stone. And that would lead to the second and the third 
and the forth. And all of it is just a progression toward being a fully committed follower of Jesus and bringing that to the world that we live in. That's the heart. And when we wired this together, what we knew is that it needed to be emotive or have some connection to the emotions. Now, some people struggle with this a little bit. They're like, oh man, the world is already too feely as it is, you know? But God cares about our feelings. God knows that we are uniquely motivated in that context, like my story about the restaurant, right? You could sit there and say, well, cognitively, I was turned off by X, Y, and Z, but ultimately what it was was that just felt wrong. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel wanted. And so because of that, I don't want to go back. And so we looked at all this and said, yeah, because God cares about our feelings, God calls us to be motivated by feelings, we wanted people to have an experience that was in part emotionally motivated, as they interacted with us. Not exclusively or strictly, but there was a sense of that. And so these four stepping stones are important to us, and we want people to, again, experience these things as they experience Redemption Church. And the first is very simple. It's almost so basic, it's hard to believe. But when people come in contact with us, we want them to feel, ready, welcomed. Just welcomed. And and can I tell you, this one is huge. It may seem basic, but it's huge. Because like I said, I'm already kind of a practitioner. I'm clergy. I go and visit different churches. And on Sunday mornings, if I'm away someplace, I try to go and hit maybe two, three, four churches if I can, if they have like a night service. And, And I've experienced what it's like to go to a church where you feel welcomed and where you don't. I've had both. In fact, when I was an intern years ago, right? So it was little baby Matt. I was like 20 years old, had a lot of hair, knew everything, right? Um, I remember I did a church tour with the group of interns I was with, and we went to Overlake, right? This was back in the Bob Moorhead days. Some of you are like, I remember those days. And we went there, and I will tell you, that was a place where I never had felt so welcomed up to that point in my life, walking into a church, right? I was just some snot-nosed nobody. The church was huge, and yet the people were so authentic, so warm. I'm like, man, I would choose this church. I don't remember the message. I don't remember the music. I don't remember if I liked it, didn't like it, whatever else, but I wouldn't have chosen it for that reason. I would have said like, these people seem authentic and real, and they seem to care about me in about 30 seconds. Man, this this could be home. So that was huge. In the same vein, a few years ago, I went to a church up north and, and I remember that Sunday morning, I, I walk in the door. Matter of fact, I hadn't even gotten into the door. There's a guy at the door with bulletins, and I walk up to him, and he just didn't say a word. Just like, like he was a Pez dispenser of a bulletin, you know, just. <laughs> All right, you know, I'm at the right door, I guess, you know. And, and then I go in, and it was funny because Ellen stayed at the house that day. I went by myself because we were out of town. And uh, I didn't have my wedding ring that day. And so I think they all looked at me like, who's the creepy 40-something that just showed up to church? You know, he doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have a ring. Clearly, he's a problem, you know? And there was nothing welcoming about it. In fact, they even had a moment where it's like, okay, everybody stand up and greet your neighbor. Nobody greeted me. In fact, I even believe, because the church is a bigger church, you know, but I believe wherever I sat, I took somebody's seat that day, right? You know how that is? Like, everybody's got their chosen seats, and I messed that up. So there was like this just giant gulf of nobody sitting near me. And so I had to go back like three rows to like shake somebody's hand. And they're like, uh, uh. And you know, they, they're like, whatever, go away. We want to talk to our friends now, you know? And it was super weird because I just remember the whole time going, I can't wait to leave. I can't wait to escape this thing, right? And the message could have been phenomenal. The music might have been great, but I was already so 
thrown off at that point. I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to stick around for this particular environment. And so that's why I say for a person to feel welcomed is huge. And it means every one of us. This is where I want to be really clear for us this morning. I want to give us like marching orders a little bit. Um, this isn't just simply for our hospitality team. That is phenomenal. They do a great job out there of opening doors and saying good morning and setting up the coffee and the donuts and engaging with people. And our children's ministry seeks to be really warm and inviting with what they do as they're checking kids in and keeping them secure and safe. But this is for all of us to kind of have our head on a swivel and when we come out of here and we go out into the commons or out outside before the rains come and everything else, like if you see a face you don't know, you go like, hey, I want to get to know that person authentically, right? In a real sincere way, not in a kind of a cheesy, just shake hand and bolt, but like, hey man, I, I wanna try to befriend you. Maybe you take them out to lunch. Maybe you invite them over for dinner. I don't know what it is, but to be a church that says, man, I want people to feel welcomed is mission critical to us. And I want you to notice we use the ending of ED, welcomed, not the ending of ING. This is strategic. And, and here's why we do this. We're not thinking in terms of, hey, Matt, do you feel like you're a welcoming guy? I can think I'm welcoming. But if the person I'm engaging with doesn't feel welcomed, I'm not welcoming. In other words, we look at all of these principles from the position of the recipient, and we're asking the question, would this make a person feel this way? And if it doesn't, we need to adapt so that they do. So like that church I visited up north, um, if I would have asked them, hey, do you think you're a welcoming church? They'd say, of course. You know how I know? It's on their bulletin that nobody welcomed me with. This is welcome to our church. The end of your search for a friendly church, I'm like, newsflash, change your titles. Right? There's nothing friendly about it. It was just odd and uncomfortable. And so, again, the key is, do others feel welcomed by what we do? That's how we want to measure, because that's what it means to be like and love like Jesus. In fact, don't take my word for it. Take his word for it, because he says something really profound about this in Matthew chapter 25. I've read this many times. It's on the final exam, right? Stand before Jesus. What's he want to know that we did? So it starts in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, right? Before him he will gather all the nations And he will separate people one from another As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats And he will place the sheep on his right And the goats he will place upon his left And then the king will say to those on his right Come you are blessed of my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you From the foundation of the world For I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they're like, dude, when did we feed you, give you drink? When did we welcome you or clothe you or visit you? And then the king will answer and say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now there's a lot about that that's sobering, but there's a couple of things here that I just want to highlight. The first thing I want us to understand is we're sitting here talking about making people feel welcomed and we could say, yeah, that's just kind of a marketing thing and that's just a nice pleasantry. No, when Jesus gives the final exam, he says to have a stranger be welcomed is just the same as to have a naked person be clothed or a hungry person be fed. So if we say, man, that's really important to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the imprisoned, and Jesus is like, right, and it's really, really important for a stranger to be welcomed. More deeply, what I love about this is he says, and when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. 
In other words, the reason we want to do this is because we so dig Jesus, we so want to be like Jesus, and we so want to show the world that life is better with Jesus, that we're seeing Jesus in everybody. And when they walk in the door, or they come down to the hub, or we do something out in the community, and they rub shoulders with Redemption Church, we want it to be that spirit where it's like, we see Jesus in you, and from that you are welcomed. We are desperate to make you feel welcomed, because we are desperate for Jesus to be welcomed among us. Now I know in this it's really easy after church uh, to kind of cluster with our friends, right? And like just catch up or whatever else. But remember, we all weren't born at Redemption Church. We all didn't start here. We all came in at some point and then felt welcomed by somebody and this became our home. So just as another person may be coming in, we want to do the same thing. And so that's why we want to engage in the spirit of creating a space where people feel welcomed. The other thing, and this is speaking to the club of which I'm president, I know some of us are introverts. You're like, oh, welcome. Oh, can I just go to the car and be quiet, turn on the radio, catch the pregame? Like, no! We want to be a people who make others feel welcomed. And it might be hard, it might take a stretch, it might be a little uncomfortable, right? But our mission is to make people feel at home. In fact, I love something Paul says in Romans 15. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you all to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, based on that, because God's given you what you need, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So in the same way, we're like, man, I'm grateful that Jesus has welcomed me into the family. I need to be in like kind doing the same thing. And one of the things that... that Pastor Scott says a lot, and I love this. It's a good reminder for me. He says, um, we need to choose to be uncomfortable so those coming in don't have to, right? It might be a little uncomfortable for us sometimes, right? To, you know, get to know somebody that we don't know or whatever else, but, but that's service. That's the heart that we're called to. And my hope, honestly, is that there'll be some people, maybe, that come to redemption, and they go, man, not my style, not my tone. The preacher, his voice drove me crazy. It was like nails on a board. But those people were so friendly and nice, and they made me feel welcomed. Maybe not our jam, but boy, I was welcomed. See, I, that would excite me. That would be a win. And so from that, man, I'm saying, let's walk across a room. Let's go out of our way. Let's help people fit in. Let's give them a reason to stay. Because they went, this just felt like natural. It felt like family. It felt like home. For us, welcomed is big. Now, the next thing that rides close to this is the second thing, if you were thinking about it in terms of pavers that we step on, and that is we want people to feel valued. Legitimately valued. And the core of this is real simple. It's what I just talked about a little bit in Matthew 25. It's that every single person that we will ever interact with, the coolest, the most cruel, it doesn't matter, they all bear the image of God, right? Like, this is the motivator. God is somehow nestled and buried in all people. I don't understand the dynamics of it. I don't understand all of the nomenclature behind it. I just know that it's true. And it's cool, like in James chapter 3, there's this funny little passage about our language and our tongue and how we speak to people. And he says this kind of thing that's meant to put us on, on, on kind of like this notice of, hey, watch out. He says, you know what, it's so strange that we have this power with our words to praise God, and we have this power with our words to curse people who are made in the image of God. And what I appreciate about what James is doing there, his whole purpose is about what we say— but he's reminding us that when we say things that curse a person, we're saying things that curse God. 
And that should back up what we say about people, A. But B, it's a reminder that perpetually, all the time, God's image is in there. And so because of that, everyone has incredible value. And therefore, our mission is to say, no matter what you're coming out of, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you're engaged, we see that you have value, and we want you to be valued in this space. One of the reasons I think this is important to me is I'll talk to people sometimes. They're like, hey, you should come to Redemption Church. I'm like, oh, man, if I set foot in your church, lightning bolt would strike me dead. I'm like, did you know we're all like a bunch of like lightning rods walking around? No, it's not just you, bro. It's all of us, man. And I have it on good authority that I've never seen anybody struck by lightning walking into this place. Right? It, it, this is a place for the broken. This is a place for uh, incomplete and imperfect people. You're not going to combust on the spot. Or they go, oh man, I've got so much stuff in my life. I got so many like just skeletons in the closet. You, you, you all wouldn't know what to do with me. I'm like, man, you don't even know. You don't even know how many of us are just like that. So I want you to know you're valued. See, this is important to us because it's important to God. In fact, there's this great passage in First Peter chapter one that shows in kind of a kind of an off-centered way how valued we are. It says in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 18, he says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, and now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Now here's what I dig about this. Um, it doesn't say God was so sick and tired of the human race and they had so little value that he sent his son. No, the idea is you were redeemed, but you were so valued to God, gold and silver wouldn't cover it. You're worth more than that. That perishes, that loses value, but you have such value to God. He says, I will send my most valued one to rescue them. You don't send your most valued one to things of no value. You send your most valued one to recover that which you value. And this is why even like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sends his one and only son, right? Like that's saying, man, I so want you in relationship with me. I so love you and want to reclaim you. I will take the greatest of the greatest of the great myself and come for you and serve you and sacrifice for you because you matter to me. We want to communicate that as a church. Because that's a powerful truth that sometimes gets lost in the minutia of religion, right? Religion starts to sound like everybody, we just see everybody is bad and broken and wrong. And it's like, but do you realize how much God valued us to rescue us, to change us, to make us different? That's profound. And so everybody comes in. We want them to know they're valued. And the way we do this is the spirit of Philippians chapter 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That says you're valued. I'm going to put you before me. Let each of you look out not only for their own interests, but also the interests of others. So in other words, it's not about my ease, it's about others' needs. That's how we show that they are valued. And so we try to do that. We try to think in terms of when a, a little child comes into children's ministry. Like right, right now, um, Dana is working on a lot of like vision, mission, purpose statement stuff and how to really continue to train our awesome teachers to be even more awesome. And it's simple little things. Like one of the things, one of the cues that she'll have is every teacher, when they greet a child, gets down to the child's eye level. 
Because what that teacher is coming down to say is, I'm here to serve you, and you are valued to me. And I know your name, not because I have to look at the tag on your back, but because I know your face. So every teacher memorizes every kid to say you're valued. Like, we, you wouldn't have any clue how many debates we have about donuts around here, right? It's like, can't we just go get the cheapest donuts? No, because that doesn't tell a person they're valued. So we debate who's got the best donuts in the region, and then who's going to go travel to go get those, right? And it seems kind of silly. Like, really, I'm like, no, literally, it's taken up hours of staff meetings, just donuts, right? And it's not because we're donut snobs, right? It's because we go, no, we want people to know they're valued, even, even in something as simple as a donut, right? So, so all of this kind of matters because it communicates something that is precious to us. So welcomed, valued. Third, this really has to do with our tone a lot. We want people to feel coached. Coached. Like, kind of in my wheelhouse a little bit. I don't simply want you to be taught or to be exhorted. I certainly don't want you to be manipulated or guilted. Right? I want it to be the spirit of saying, you know what? I want to encourage us all to spiritual growth, spiritual development, and spiritual health. So, a good coach, they're one part pressure and one part praise. Right? That makes a good coach. A bad coach is all pressure and no praise, or all praise and no pressure. So they're either Bill Belichick, right? Where it's just like all pressure. He's never happy, especially now that he's losing. He's super not happy, right? Or, or it's, it's like the, the current coach of the Broncos. Russ went to the right place, all right? And all praise, no pressure, struggling, right? Can't hack it, hack it. That's kind of where it's going. And so with that, I go, no, we, we don't want to be either of those extremes. We want to be both things combined and bringing in a spirit that says, you know what? I can't wait to grow. I want to grow. That's the healthy thing of coaching. In fact, I see the spirit in Paul when he writes to a church in the town of Thessalonica. And he says this. He says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. And we speak. We're not trying to please people, but rather we're trying to please God who tests our hearts. And so you go, cool, Paul. You're wanting to teach. You're wanting to coach. You didn't want to do it a certain way, so how do you do this? And he says, well, I'll tell you how we didn't do it. He says, we didn't show up and use words of flattery, and we didn't push in a greedy sort of way, and we didn't seek glory from people. And he says, we didn't even make demands as apostles, though we could. He says, here's how we taught. He says, we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desires for you, we were ready to share not just the gospel, but our own selves, because you would become dear to us. See, I love that because it shows a disposition in how he wanted to handle bringing up a congregation to be more and more in alignment with Christ. He's like, of all the metaphors I could use, it wasn't a general, it wasn't a soldier, it was like a nursing mother tenderly bringing along her children. So I think that's cool because, again, I know my heart. We talk about this a lot as a staff. I talk a lot uh, about it with Scott. That, that my heart, just you'll get an insight to me. I'm the weirdest person to be a pastor in Christian religion. I really am sometimes because I have a real distaste for religion. That's what makes it weird. But I have a distaste for religion because so often I see it's abusive. And it manipulates or it guilts or it shames and it leverages authority that is not its own to leverage. And so I'm always aware of that. Like, my heart is not to do that. 
I want the Holy Spirit to compel you. I want the, the truth of the Bible to compel you. I want the love of Jesus to compel you, but I don't want to be this apparatus that is trying to shame you in a direction or guilt you in a direction. That's not my heart. And my heart is kind of that way because I look at even this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 and I go, this is what I think I'm called to do. I think I'm called to err on the side of grace and take the Bible seriously and then let the Holy Spirit work in you, but I need to do this by way of my example more than my pressures. Peter says this. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Like, that's the space I'm to, to operate in. And, and I say this as a person that comes out of a background where there was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of pressure to perform in the church context. And I remember in those times, there was either this sense of I was sucking wind more than living in the Spirit, like I wasn't keeping up, or I was more discouraged than encouraged, or I would start to measure up to the standards in the church, and as soon as I did, you know what happened with me? I became proud instead of humble, and I judged others who weren't doing it to the degree that I was. All of that is broken. And so from this, we're like, man, no, we want to be in an environment where we say, you know what, keep going. Let's keep growing. You fell, I've fallen a bunch of times. Let's get up and do it together. Let's keep moving. See, that's coaching. In fact, I came across this great quote a few years ago, and it just continues to stick with me. It's a reminder to me as a coach here at Redemption of why we take the tone that we do. It says this, when the tone of Scripture imply, when the tone of the Scriptures imply that you are or we are to preach with authority, it does not mean you are to damage the souls under you with that authority. Authority implies care. Authority implies shepherding. Authority is served best when your people know you wield it discerningly. If you want to communicate truth, your people need to see that the truth is compellingly cheerful and charitable. If you wish to see their hearts grow in love for Jesus, preach like you are one of the ones growing first. Authority is a tremendous thing to waste. Exercise it like you don't have it. That motivates me, right? That motivates me to be the kind of coach I want to be, for us as a team to be the coaches that we are, for all of us as we're in regroups and other venues to be those kinds of coaches because those are the ones that really woo and stimulate people to deeper action. This all leads to then the fourth in our little stepping stones. We desire that people would be unleashed. Unleashed. Like it's this progression. Man, you've been welcomed. You've been valued. You've been coached up. Now we want you to be unleashed. Because what we believe as a church is that all of us are not meant to be cul-de-sacs, but conduits. So we don't have this process so it just all pools up in us and I study the Bible and I enjoy my spiritual life and I sing songs and I go to church and I have fun. But no, we're supposed to pour this out into the world around us, right? We're supposed to, to be people that are, are, are coming into the environment and bringing something beautiful to bear because we believe that life is better with Jesus. And so what this means is that every single one of us is being equipped and designed to do something where you're unleashed into the community. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It says, we are God's masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. 
And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things that God planned long ago for us to do. So God welcomed you because he valued you and he's coached you so you can be then unleashed into the world around you. You have a handcrafted purpose, right? It's just like coaching is meant so that people can go take the field. And so we're all meant to go take the field. Pick your sport, softball, volleyball, basketball, baseball, it doesn't matter where it is. Not everybody plays the same position, that's okay. Go play the position God has called you to play. Right? But it's a beautiful way that then you show your community how much you care for and love them because you have a handcrafted purpose. In fact, as I close it out, I think about something that Jesus says to all of us that's a good reminder. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. This is why we want to be unleashed. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor can people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather they put it on a stand that it can give light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? Every one of us is a light. But we're not all the same light. Right? Let me put it a little differently. Um, some of you are like candlelight. You're warm. You're inviting. There's a sense of kind of intimacy in your presence. You are some of the most awesome kind of light that people need. Others of you, you ready? You're a black light. You show what others don't see. You spot the stains in the world, but you want to make it better. Some of you are like a flashlight, and you go way out into the darkness with that light so you can meet others in the darkness because you're that kind of light. And then others are like a spotlight. You make others shine, right? We're all different kinds of lights. I've decided I'm a porch light, right? And here's what I mean. Um, I was thinking about this. I'm like, that's me. That's who I am. I love people that have walked away from the faith. I love the deconstructed. I love the people that were in and now are out and they can't stand. Uh, those of us that are in, like those are my favorite types of people to want to reach because I get them. I understand how they're thinking. I understand their frustrations. My heart is to be that porch light that says it's always okay to come home. It's always okay to come. So you be you as your kind of light. I'll be me as my kind of light. We all need to be different kinds of lights. That's awesome. There's probably a zillion others. I'm not highlighting but when we do that, when we have this progression of welcome, valued, coach, unleashed, and we're lights, what we tell the world is, you know what? Life is better with Jesus. Life is better with Jesus. And I want to be here to be helping you believe that's true. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you for the inspiration you bring forth through us. And I pray that we are just simply great lights for you because you are so incredible to us and for us. And so we thank you for this day. We thank you for the reminder of what we seek to be as a church. We do this again so imperfectly. We're asking you to stimulate and strengthen us in these things, inspire us by your spirit to be fully unleashed for you in all the ways you call us to. And so we thank you. We give you praise and worship this day and we long for more of you in our life. And so we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.